Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good, good. You look great, all of you. There's a lot of you, too. So grab your Bibles, Acts 22. Acts 22, if you could help those people finding seats, get a seat next to you, that would be helpful, too. So, uh, and also turn to Acts chapter 22, verse 22. That's where we'll start. A couple of announcements uh, as, we, as we go in. Um, we do not have uh, 722 services Thursday because it's Thanksgiving, all right? So, um, so no service in if you were planning on coming to that. And if you would tell all your 722 friends that they can't come to 9 or 1122, but they need to come to 522 because 722 won't fit in 1122 or 9 o'clock. So that's why we have four services. Anybody that wants to come 522 from now on, that'd be awesome. Like if that whole section, if all of y'all would just move to 522, that would be helpful. Right, McCarthy? Amen. Um, that's my good friend McCarthy right there looking for a seat. His wife would raise her hand so she could hear. There you go. Good. Up here, car, second row. There you go, buddy. Hey, buddy. That was a good game yesterday, wasn't it? McCarthy's also a Georgia Bulldog with me. Praise God. So we had a good day. That's good. Sorry, Addy. Addy's right here, embarrassed. On the second row, also. McCarthy works in our parking lot ministry, so that's why he didn't just get here now. He's been here early, serving, praise God. All right, so next we have, um, next we have an announcement. Uh, uh, next week, uh, <clears throat> Christmas in a Box will be available to you. How many of you have ever hosted a, a Christmas Eve service at your home? Praise God. So what we do at the Church of 1122 is we don't have one Christmas Eve service. Last year, we had about 800 Christmas Eve services all over Jacksonville and Literally all around the world. We have them in, in other countries and stuff. And so the way this works is <clears throat> we do everything that you need to host your very own Christmas Eve service. And we put it in a DVD box and we'll give it to you next week if you want it for free. And it's got um, a message from me about Christ being born into the mess of your world. So hopefully that'll be applicable. And there are songs by our worship team to help lead you in your own little worship service there in your house. And uh, this is worth hosting one. Pastor Ben in the video is dressed up as an angel. So, look forward to that. Uh, we'll probably just show that for years to come. That'll be great. So that's for free next week. So you get to host your very own Christmas Eve service in your home or wherever. So, like, if you're traveling, take one with you, and you can take 1122 on the road. Or if you've got friends and family, and, you know, people live on your street, and they won't ever come to church with you, even Walmart church, but maybe they would come to your home, then um, you could host this little service there. So, uh, you can do that, Christmas in a Box. And on Christmas Eve, I will be with my family. That's where I'll be. And uh, if you have to have a Christmas Eve service in a, in a church building because Santa Claus won't bring you presents, if you don't light the candle and sing Silent Night, then you can go to any other church in Jacksonville, okay? They all have Christmas Eve services. So go to any and all of those. Those will be great. Also, next week, not for free, um, our band has put out um, a, a worship album uh, that's all Christmas music. And so you want to pick that up, makes great stocking stuffer, and so you can grab that and buy a bunch of them, give them to your friends and family. And it's like classic Christmas songs like Oh Holy Night and the First Noel and stuff like that. And I don't know if you can see this, but I love the cover, all right? It just stirs in me. And you know it's going to be good when you got a buck like that on the outside. All right. <clears throat> so I think that, is, that are, those are all my announcements. <clears throat> so we are in week four of a four-part series called The Prize, and I've entitled this sermon, Your Best Life Later. Because what we're going to talk about is what the true prize is, and the prize or the, the, the message of the gospel is not follow Jesus and he'll make everything better for you, but that you, you follow Jesus and you get Jesus. He doesn't always just hook you up with the cash and prizes and change your circumstances to the way you wanted. But when he becomes your Lord and Savior, that he in and of himself is more than enough to sustain you in whatever the circumstances are. And if you've lived any bit of life, then, then you know that that's the reality. And so we're going to talk about the role of pain and suffering in our life. And how do we walk through pain and suffering and still know God as loving Heavenly Father and love him and stay surrendered to him? And I just also want you to know <clears throat> that, that as I preach on pain and suffering, um, I'm really in no position to preach on it. Because quite honestly, my life's going great. I mean, better than great, especially the last couple of years. I mean, uh, I turned 40 this year, so, you know, you hit 40, you start thinking about your life and are you making a difference and significance and all those things. And I go, well, yeah, kind of, it's going great. And, and I'm the most blessed man alive, really. That's how I feel. I feel like the most blessed man alive. Uh, I mean, I have a blessed home. My wife, I got this beautiful, talented, 
revelation song singing woman. Y'all guys realize that that was my wife that sang that song, right? So I don't know who you're going home to. I, that's who I get to go home with today. Isn't that great? So I got a blessed marriage. I got blessed kids. I mean, I got healthy, happy kids. It's awesome. JP just turned eight yesterday, and we had his birthday party at Latitude 30, 10% of which our total bill went to the Restore Project. Y'all going? You better go. And so we were just looking at his friends and then their parents, who were all our friends. We are just sitting back at the bowling alley just going, man, how blessed are we? And, you know, JP's team just won the baseball championship again. A lot of it had to do with coaching, but, you know, he had a lot of significant plays in there. That was cool and just made straight A's. How great is that, right? So proud. Even driving in this morning, JP gets up every Sunday morning on his own, gets dressed because he wants to come to church with me. And so if he's ready at the door at 6.45 when I'm leaving, he gets to go. And every, he always does because he wants to be here. He loves it here. And he goes, Daddy, today I just want to listen to your sermon. I want to sit in big church and listen with your sermon. Now, he may have just been telling me that so he could play iPad the whole time. I don't know. But, but you just think, how blessed am I? And, and Reagan Capri, my little four-year-old, sometimes out of nowhere, she'll go, Daddy, can I tell you something? I'm like, what's up, Reagan? She goes, I just love you so much. Just out of nowhere, unsolicited. And then she'll say, Daddy, watch my gymnastics. And she'll do a little like, whoo, do a little gymnastics move. But here's what I know. It could change in a second. It could change in a phone call. It could change in a diagnosis. It could change in a second. One event. It could change it like crazy. And I don't want to be the kind of person... That, that understands my faith in God based on my circumstances, but I want to understand my circumstances based on my relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul teaches us. And one of the reasons that, that we as a church just walk through the Bible verse by verse is so that each and every week, we're not just reading my journal and what I'm going through, but we just walk through wherever the whole counsel of God takes us. And where it takes us today is Paul walking through pain and suffering, <clears throat> And all of us in this room have either come out of some pain and suffering, you're in the middle of some pain and suffering, or some pain and suffering could be coming. And so what I want to do is to equip you to be able to handle the pain and suffering, to be able to, to, get, to get your hands around it, to, begin to, to be able to be ready to walk through it, or if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, to give you um, a little understanding from God's point of view of, about why this is happening and how God might be able to use this. Because I'm going to tell you, if this afternoon when you go on, if you go home, and I don't know why you would do this, but if you would choose to flip through the Christian TV stations, you're going to hear a message there that is not the gospel. The gospel is not follow Jesus and he makes everything better. Because the problem with that message is two things, the Bible and your own personal experience. But other than that, it's a great message. And it really is this um, circular argument of heresy. Because the prosperity gospel goes something like this. It says, if your faith is big enough, if you have enough faith in God, I mean, if you can get that faith meter up to the ding, 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 you know, the, the cash and prizes level, then God will give you health and wealth and great relationships and happiness. But then what happens when you actually get up and go to work tomorrow and you have faith in God and he does not provide that for you? Well, see, the, the, <laughs> the beauty of that heresy is that it says, well, it was your fault because you didn't have enough faith. So what's your problem? So if you'll just have more faith and sow more money into the seed of that ministry, then God will bless you financially. And so you can't pay your bills and the pastor preaching that's driving around in a new Cadillac. See how that works? And so what I want you to do, I want to I look at the, the, just the heart of the gospel, especially when you're walking through times of pain and suffering. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. Beginning in verse 22. And the Bible says, up to this word, they listened to him. You remember last week, Paul shares his testimony. He shares his story. The whole assembly gathers, and he says, this is what my life was like before Christ, and this is how I met him, and this is what my life has been like since then. And so up to that point, they're listening. And and I don't know if you guys did what we talked about last week, but I encourage you to share your story with whoever God would place in your life this week. And for some of you, maybe it went exceedingly well. And for some of you, it didn't go very well. For Paul, it didn't go very well at all. He was faithful to share his story when God gave him the opportunity, and it doesn't go well. Look how unwell it goes. It says, then they raised their voices, and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. Now, that's bad. 
It's bad enough if somebody says, get out of my face. But they're saying, get off the earth. I mean, that's bad. It's as bad as it gets. Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air to get all crazy, verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks and saying that he should be examined by flogging. Now, if I'm Paul, I'm going to go, hey, time out. Can we just examine by examining? Can we just examine by asking questions? No, we're going to examine by flogging. See, little did I know that my dad, Perry Martin, apparently was trained under the tribune order of examination. So the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now listen, when this world comes after you, don't just be a passive dummy and just roll over and take it. Now, what Paul, you remember, we found out that he grew up in Tarsus. He's probably got a law degree, and Paul's going to fight back a little bit. And Paul understands that the Roman citizens, of which he is one, has certain rights, and so he's going to claim his rights because obeying the law in Rome was a big deal. And so a lot of times, well, God, God in his sovereignty gives you control of a lot of things in your life. And so, as we come to God and say, dear God, I need your help in these areas of my life, make sure that you are taking your responsibility of what he has put you in control of, and then you beg God to take control of all the things that are uncontrollable in your life. And so, Paul's going to control what he can control. And so, he raises the question here, hey, wait a minute, you guys, you know the law says you're not supposed to flog me without a trial, because I'm a Roman citizen. Verse 26, And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and he said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. And so the tribune came to him and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul says, yes. And the tribune answered, all proudly probably, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. And in the Greek then it says, booyah, right there. (laughs) That's what that is. Because the Tribune thought he was somebody. I paid a lot of money for this citizenship. And Paul's like, whatever, you're JV. Because I was a born citizen. And so that, <clears throat> that had more rights. Or that citizenship was held in higher regard than that purchased citizenship. And so now they're all going to freak out. Because they know the Tribune is responsible for um, Paul's life until they get him to Rome to be put on trial there. And so if something happens to Paul, then they're in trouble. <clears throat> Verse 29. So... Those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So things were looking up for Paul. It looks like maybe he'll get out, verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, the tribune unbound him and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and he sat him before them. So he's going to put together the accusers, this council, with Paul, the accused, and see what's really going on. Acts 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this day. Now, don't stop reading the Bible, okay? Don't look at the next verse, all right? Just look at me. Now, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen next? Well, if the guys on TV are right, then what's going to happen next is Paul looks intently at the council and says, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience. And so, therefore, God's going to hook him up. If you do right, if you do what's right, and you keep your nose clean, and you set your mind to it, and and you obey the commandments, and you live right before God, then God will give you cash and prizes. I mean, that's the essence of the prosperity gospel, that God, God will give you health, wealth, great relationships, and happiness. Right? Isn't that how it's supposed to go? That's what all the testimony videos look like that you see on television, I used to, my life was wrecked, and then I met Jesus, and then, man, look at my new car. I mean, everything worked out. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and so he wants to give me all kinds of good and great stuff. And again, there's a couple problems with that theology. One's the Bible, the other's your experience. But again, other than that, it's great. And if you want to build a big old fast-growing church, it's a great message to share with your people, because, man, it feels good. Man, you go to lunch today, you feel great. Man, life's going to be good. Why? pastor told me. I just tithe and believe more, and God's going to hook me up. The problem is, it's not how it went for the guys in the scriptures, and it's also, it's not how it's going for the people in this room either, is it? 
Because you've trusted God. And look, look what happens next. So this is right after Paul says. He says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. So here's what, you know what I know. Sometimes you live right and you do right and you live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you live a holy life and you live a a life of character and integrity and this world kicks your teeth in. I mean, just punches you in the mouth because of your faithfulness. Now, some of you are going through pain and it's your own fault. That's not what we're talking about today, okay? There is such a thing as dumb pain, all right? There is. My daddy used to always say, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. That sounds like it should be in the Proverbs, doesn't it? The redneck Proverbs. If you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Because some of you are just in dumb pain. I mean, it's your own fault, right? You you broke up with her three times, but you're going for round four. Get ready for a mouth punch. All right, here it comes. (laughs) You're using these credit cards to pay off those credit cards. And then you come to me and be like, Pastor, I don't know what the devil's in my finances. I'm like, he doesn't need to get into your finances. You're doing a great job ruining your life on your own. So that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about dumb pain, all right? God will meet you even in your own mess. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But I'm talking about that sacred pain. I mean, some of you, some of you, this world has just kicked you in the teeth. And it seems like it was right after you began to put your faith in God. I mean, you were doing what's right. You were, you were trying to be faithful to God. It was because of your character and integrity that you got passed over at work. Because you wouldn't lie on some of those forms. And some of those people that you used to be peers with, now they do your, they do your annual evaluation. And you know they lied and cheated to get to the top. And it was because of your integrity you got passed over. And you're thinking, what's up with that? That's not how it's supposed to work. Or you used to hang out with this group of girls. And because of your integrity and your character and, your, and you wanting to please God and not man, you quit being a part of the gossip circle and now they've stabbed you in the back and won't let you be the friend anymore. And it hurts. Or you started showing up to church and giving. I mean, sacrificially and generously. And then things went the other way. And you thought, well, that's not the way it's supposed to work at all. And you're trying to figure out how to stay in your home. Or you believe in God with everything you're made of. And you believe that God's in control. But when you look at your own life, it sure did feel out of control when the doctor called and he said cancer. You said, well, what do I do with that? See, what do you do when God allows you to walk through this kind of pain? Because when Paul says, I've been living rightly before God. And it's because of that that he gets punched in the mouth. Now, so what some people would say with is, well, if you're going through pain, and if you've got broken relationships or financial problems, or, or even if, if there's health issues in your life, it's because your faith isn't big enough. Well, who's going to step up and tell Paul that? Hey, Paul, you got a faith problem. Paul, are you kidding me? Have you been here for the whole act series? Normally, when he gets in prison, he just sings, bless be the Lord, oh my soul, and the walls fall down, and he just walks out and plants a church there. That Paul's got a faith problem? Paul's, Paul's grilling some hot dogs before the big game and then takes off his apron, throws it on a guy, and that guy gets up and walks away. Like, I'm healed. Or the line to get to meet Paul and have him pray over you to be healed gets so long, Paul blows his nose in his handkerchief and throws it away. People take that, rub it on their sick mom, and she gets healed. That's where holy snot came from. That's Paul. Or Paul, you remember a few weeks ago, Paul's preaching in this church and this teenager's sitting in the, in the ledge of the windowsill and he preaches so long that the guy, the kid falls asleep, falls out of the window and hits the ground and dies. Remember what his name was? Eutychus. And Eutychus too, if you fell out the window, see? That's how you remember that. And what does Paul do? Paul goes down and by faith heals the kid and goes back to preaching the rest of the sermon. So Paul didn't have enough faith? Are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write parts of the Bible. The majority of the epistles are written by the Apostle Paul. I don't think Paul has a faith issue. Paul has wholeheartedly surrendered his life to the Lordship of Christ. And yet when Paul lives right, he gets punched in the mouth. Some of you are walking through that. It's it's not by anything that you have done. Okay, it's not by anything that you have done. But this world at times will just kick you in the teeth regardless of the amount of faith you have. So what do you do with that? Verse 3. 
And then Paul said to him, now look, I want you to see how mad Paul gets. I like Paul. Look at this. I can't wait to meet him one day. And then Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. I mean, he gets popped in the mouth. He's like, oh, you punched me in the mouth. God Almighty is about to punch you in the mouth, all right? That's what he says. And then when he calls these people a whitewashed wall, you guys, unless you got a degree in Greek, you have no idea the intensity um, that he is coming at these people with. This is like the worst thing you could call a religious Jewish person. Because when they would bury people, they didn't have tombstones like we have tombstones. They would carve out graves inside a cave, and then they would put the bodies inside the cave, and then they would cover them up with these rocks. And it looked kind of gross, so they would whitewash it. They would clean it all up. And Paul is saying, you're like a whitewashed grave. It's all pretty on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And he's talking to Sadducees and Pharisees. That would be like dropping the F-bomb on somebody. Oh, you punch me in the mouth, I'm a, and just going with it, man. People were like, oh, Paul, right. I mean, this is intense. So he says, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? In other words, I know that you're dead on the inside and you look fine on the outside because you're a hypocrite. You're reading the word that says don't strike people. And you're going to strike me on the mouth, God's going to strike you on the mouth. I mean, he is as bowed up as it gets. And I want you to understand, um, I want you to understand the intensity of his emotions so that this next little part makes sense to you. So you just think, I mean, as ticked off as you've ever been, as emotional as you've ever been, this is where Paul is. I mean, fighting mad. And then, verse 4, those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? See, Paul didn't know who he was talking to. He didn't know Ananias was the high priest. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I want to explain something to you that I often say, but I typically say it in a sound bite with not enough time to explain it all, and it leaves you confused. Because often you'll hear me say that I don't care about your feelings. Now, let me clarify. I don't care about your feelings. (laughs) Here's what I mean. I don't mean that I don't care that you have feelings. Because in my role as pastor, if I've ever been with you and walked through some tough times with you, you know that I love you so much, it's hard to describe the supernatural love that God has given me for the people of our church. That I weep over your prayer request. If you hurt, I hurt. I love you. I care that you have feelings. Your feelings are very, very important. But when I say I don't care about your feelings, I mean I don't want you to be ruled by your feelings. Because what happens to Paul here is going to happen to you if you take this follow Jesus thing very seriously. Many times throughout your life, you are going to feel a certain way and your feelings are going to direct you to do one thing, but the Word of God is going to direct you to do something else. And in that moment, you have a decision to make. Will I be lorded by my feelings or will I submit to the authority of the Word of God? So Paul is ticked off and rightly so he got punched in the mouth because he lived he's living right for the lord and so he's mad and yet the word of god in exodus 22 28 i think says you don't talk like that to the people that rule over you and so what paul does is paul willingly chooses to submit his feelings under the authority of the word of god if you're gonna be serious about being a christian there will be time and time again where you feel like doing one thing but the Bible says to do something else. And, and, then, and then we'll see who's Lord. And so that's what I mean when I say I don't care about your feelings. I just don't want you to be ruled by your feelings. Your feelings are not your master. Jesus is your master. It's important to have feelings. God has given you all kind of feelings to help you navigate this thing called life. But those feelings, the actions that result from those feelings need to be surrendered and submitted under the authority of the word of God And it's evidence that you trust the author of the word, God himself, more than you trust you and your feelings. And so what Paul does when he walks through some pain is he willingly submits his feelings to the authority of the word. It is written. Listen, you need some it is written's in your life. And you need the it is written's in your life before you walk through the pain. It's kind of like friendship. By the time you need friends, it's too late if you hadn't been building friends already. You work on building friendships before you need friends, so when you need them, you've got them. The same thing is true with it is written. You need some it is written in your life. And here's why you need the it is written, because you're going to face times in your life where your feelings are going to go haywire. They just are. You're going to feel all kind of stuff. I mean, feelings change all the time, don't they? 
But we don't want our circumstances to rule us. We want Jesus to rule us. And instead of seeing our relationship with Jesus based on our circumstances, we need to see our circumstances based on our relationship with Jesus. And the way you do that is you've got to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, Romans 12, 2. And the way you do that is you get some it is written. So when Paul gets in this moment, he knows it is written. I'm not supposed to talk that way about my rulers, even though I feel that way, and he submits to that. Do you have some it is written in your life? You know where that little phrase, it is written, is also found? When Jesus is being tempted by Satan in the desert. All three times when the enemy comes to tempt him, Jesus' response is not, I feel like, and, this is crazy, Jesus doesn't even, doesn't even lean on his own willpower. And he's the only dude that could ever lean on his own willpower because he's God, so he has God's will in him. And he doesn't even lean on his own willpower. He says, it is written. And all three times, in defense of the attack of the enemy, he has some, it is written. You need some it is written in your life. Like, any, are there any females in the room that struggle with insecurity? Oh, all of you? Yeah. I mean, really, that's not a knock on you either. I mean, it's really not. Regardless of your circumstances. I mean, the most put-together women I've ever met in my life. Talented, pretty, successful. There's something about the curse of Eve, ladies, that just gets in there to, to create some insecurity in you. And that feeling is going to be there. And so what do you do with that? You better have some Psalm 139, 14. It is written. You better be able to pull that one out of the quiver and shoot the enemy when he comes at you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So when your feelings are telling you one thing, that you can have some it is written to claim. And over time, by the, by the grace and mercy of God, your feelings begin to line up with the truth. Anybody ever struggle with worry or anxiety? Well, the book of Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. Well, awesome. How do you do that? I mean, that's in the Bible great. Hey, are you anxious? Yeah, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to need more. <laughs> that's like taking a guy that's afraid of heights, taking him up on top of the building. Are you scared? Yeah. Stop. Okay. I'm not sure how to do that. It's like trying to sleep. You just, I can't go to sleep. It makes it worse the more I try. Try not to be anxious. Oh, gosh. It'll make your head explode. <clears throat> but the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Notice I don't have to look them up. You know why? Because I got some it is written. See, typically, I'm not a very anxious person. I'm not a very worried person. I think we're going to be fine and God rules and I'm good and here we go. No problem. But a year and a half ago when we're launching this church, there's just some stuff going on, right? We're trying to raise money and do this stuff. And I'm just telling you, it felt like the world was caving in on me. And one day, I'm in the parking lot at Beach. I called Gretchen on the phone and said, hey, babe, um, don't freak out, but can you just tell me, what's a heart attack feel like? <laughs> Husbands, is not a good call. You want to call a doctor friend or something, but I had to call Gretchen. Can you explain? Because I think I might, I'm not sure if I should go into my office right now or just head on down to the emergency room. Can you tell me? Because I was anxious. And so I had to pull out the be anxious for nothing. Now, listen, if you're walking through pain, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you need to attack that thing medically, relationally, spiritually, and physically. So you go to Jesus, the great physician. You also go to your regular physician. You talk, I mean, you hit it from all the angles. But you need some it is written in your life. And listen, people, do you know what miracle God has given you? It's called BibleGateway.com. You should write that down, BibleGateway.com. There are Christians this weekend scurrying around in little underground house churches trying to jot down half of the book of Jude so they got something to study next week in their church. And we can just get online and, and BibleGateway.com. What does the Bible say about fear? And you put fear in there, and every verse that the word fear shows up in is going to pop up in any translation that you want. It's God's common grace. Speaking of fear, 365 times we are commanded to fear not or be not afraid or take courage. That's convenient, isn't it? Just one for every day of the year. Okay? You need some it is written in your life before you get to the pain so that 
you can see your circumstances through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of seeing Jesus through the lens of your circumstances. And so Paul, <clears throat> Paul has some it is written. Verse 6. And now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, so he's looking at the crowd and he's like, oh, I got two groups here. I got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. He cried out in the councils, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and, and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So again, Paul's going to take control of the part that God allows him to be in control of. So Paul's going to pit the Pharisees against the Sadducees, and he's going to do that Bugs Bunny trick. Remember, he'd get everybody in one big fight, and then he'd leave the fight? That's what Paul's going to do, okay? And so, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. See, that's how you remember that. I know it's cheesy Christian humor, but you're going to remember that over Thanksgiving. You're going to be with your grandma. Thanks to be giving him. Well, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. And you're going to look like an awesome Christian, okay? You're welcome. <laughs> but the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And, and when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him away from among them by force and to bring him into the berries. So again, the tribune is responsible to get him to Rome. If something happens to him under their watch, they're held responsible. So they scoot him off to the berries. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Okay, stop reading. Look at me. Don't read the rest of it. Don't read the rest of it. It'll mess you up. All right, now. So, Paul gets out of this fight, he's back in the barracks, and then Jesus, the Lord, stands by Paul. Now, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, you know what's going to happen next, right? Don't you know? I mean, if you're making the movie of the life of Paul, this is when the hero music starts kicking in. Like, out out of the fog, here comes Jesus. And you hear, dun, 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 And there's Jesus stepping up beside Paul. And Paul's all, you know, curled up in a little ball in his jail cell. And the wind is mysteriously blowing. And Jesus' sweetest blonde hair is blowing in the wind. And his cape is back here. And big old SJ, super Jesus, is there. And he's standing beside Paul. Here I am to save the day. I mean, isn't that what super Jesus does? That when Jesus shows up, he just makes all the circumstances better. And so probably what's going to happen in, in the movie is then, is then Jesus is going to kick open the door and say, Arise, Paul, and follow me. And they're going to walk out through all the guards in the tribune, and they're going to find that one that punched Paul in the mouth, and Paul's going to say, Sick him, Jesus. And then Jesus is going to come in there and smite that dude, whatever smite means. And then everybody else in the crowd is going to see the smitten one, and is going to bow down on their face and sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. 10,000 reasons they all get saved. And then Paul's going to plant a church there, tribunebaptistchurch.com, right there in the place. Isn't that how it's going to go? Because when Jesus shows up, he makes everything better. Yeah, so let's look what happens. I even put it in red letters in your notes so you would understand this is the Lord talking. And Jesus says, take courage. Uh Uh-oh, never starts off good if people tell you you're going to need more courage for what's coming up next. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Huh? Ah, Jesus, you got the wrong script. You're supposed to show up because I'm faithful and make everything work out for me. You know what Jesus is saying? Hey, Paul, good job in Jerusalem. To which, if we're evaluating Paul's ministry in Jerusalem, you go, he didn't do a good job in Jerusalem. He didn't do a good job at all. He preached one sermon and they tried to kill him. Nobody got saved. Nobody came back to church. The offering was terrible and not one person got in a disciple group. Aren't you glad that God judges us on our faithfulness and not our fruitfulness? You know why I can take zero credit for what's going on in this place? Because I can't save anybody. It is God who saves. It's God who moves. It's God who works. And so I'm just supposed to be faithful to do my job, to preach the word, to lead our teams, and to pray that God would give me a glimpse of the future to see where we're going. And then everything else is up to him. And so what Paul says, I mean, what Jesus says to Paul is, hey, good job here in Jerusalem. Good job in jail. Yep, great job. Good job sharing your testimony. Nobody even liked it. That's fine. 
I'm in charge. And then next you're going to Rome. You're going to do the same thing in Rome. Now, Paul knew what you don't know. Rome is worse. Yeah, Rome is worse than Jerusalem. Jerusalem was pretty civilized. Rome was, they were experts at, at, at persecution and tor- torture. Like Rome invented crucifixion. Rome, in places like Rome, they were trying to stamp out this belief that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one would come to the Father except through him. They, I mean, the, the, the forces and the strength of the Roman Empire were trying to stop this one little prisoner here and his ridiculous message about Christ dying on the cross for you. And Jesus says, yep, that's where you're going to go. And it's going to get worse. And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he doesn't make it better. He actually, the situation gets worse. So what do you do with that? If you're walking through pain, and it's not your fault, what do you do with that? When your life feels like it's out of control, yet you believe that God is in control, but your life feels out of control, what do you do with that? Well, the point, and again, this will not make you feel great at all. It's kind of depressing, but it's just true. That's the only problem with it. And and I'm just going to tell you, it rubs against every American fiber in my being. And especially if you're younger than me, the more this is in you. Because if you're like 30 and under, your whole life you've been told you're a rainbow. And you're a snowflake. And you're special. (laughs) Problem with that is, you know, the gospel. The Bible says, well, the point is this. And this is, I made this up in first inferred by what we just read, that the Lord may displace your current temporary comfort for the sake of others' eternal destiny. That the Lord may displace your current temporary comfort for the sake of others' eternal destiny. That there's a bigger plan that you and I can't even see, and from His point of view, it totally makes sense. And from our point of view, it makes no sense whatsoever. And here's the crazy thing about it. When you're going through pain and suffering, we always make it about us, don't we? God, what are you trying to teach me? Why am I going through this? And I always go, and Lord, if you'll hurry up and teach me this so we can get to the next chapter of my blessed life, that'd be great. But what if it's not even about you? Because it wasn't even about Paul at this point. Listen, I I hate to ruin the end of the book of Acts, but I'm going to, because we won't be there until the spring, so you'll all forget. But here's what happens. Uh, Paul goes all the way to Rome. And he's there for years on trial. And while he's in prison, he writes letters. And those letters begin to spread to kids like Timothy in Ephesus and different places like that. And while Paul's in prison in Rome, he's leading all the Roman guards to Christ. He's sharing the gospel with them and they're all getting saved. And he's even planting churches in Rome. And then um, the, the entire strength of the Roman Empire is trying to get him to shut up. And within 300 years, Constantine, the Roman emperor, surrenders his life to the lordship of Christ. There's more Roman Christians than Roman non-Christians. Rome becomes the epicenter of all communication to the Western world. And God uses Paul on trial in Rome to take the gospel all the way to Jacksonville Beach, Florida. And you and I are here today because God was okay with displacing the temporary comfort of Paul for my eternal destiny and your eternal destiny. And he was cool with that. It's hard to swallow, though, when you're going through pain, isn't it? One of the things you'll hear say here all the time is we don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. We follow Jesus because he is better than life. He is the prize. Because if you follow him just to get him to line up everything in your life, then he's not your Lord and Savior. He's your do-boy. And you're actually Lord, and he's supposed to do what you tell him to do. That's not lordship at all. And so the gospel isn't follow Jesus and everything goes well. The gospel is follow Jesus, and you get Jesus forever and ever. Amen. And your best life is not now. If now is your best life, it's because you don't know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I don't know if you'll take this as good news or bad news. This is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. Because you're under God's common grace. And in 100 years from now, if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be really, really, really bad. But if you know Christ, this is as bad as it'll get. If you know Jesus, this is as bad as it gets. Because we will spend forever eternity with him. And with him, when we're face to face with him, that is the prize. Now, as as yes and amen, there's no more tears, there's no pain, there's no crying. And and gold is so plentiful there, they use it as asphalt. What are we going to do all of this? I don't know, pay the streets, all right? It's pretty cool. And if you know people that love Jesus and they've gone to be with him, then one day you'll be reunited. You'll be face to face with him. That'll be the prize. And you'll look around and you'll be like, what? been waiting to see you again, okay? It's a, it's a good deal. So your best life, if you know Jesus, is later, 
later. And in the meantime, in the meantime, there's pain and there's struggle. And we don't follow Jesus because he makes it all better. We follow him because he is better than life. He's better than life. And you can look through all the scriptures. I mean, Old Testament and New Testament. And you see evidence of this. People follow the Lord to get the Lord, not to just get the cash and prizes. You can go Old Testament, Moses, faithful man of God. For 40 years, he wanders around in the desert, leading a bunch of grumbling, complaining people. And then at the end of his ministry, what does God do? Give him what he wants? No, he takes him up on the mountain and says, behold, the promised land. And imagine Moses. Moses is like, finally, the land flowing with milk and honey. I've been waiting my whole life to go in there. God's like, nah, you're going to die on the mountain. Joshua has never done anything. We're going to let him take them in. It's going to be weird. (laughs) Next page in the Bible. That's it. Or you want to go to New Testament? How about John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the dude. I mean, Jesus said of John the Baptist, he's the greatest who's ever been born of a woman. I think that's everybody. I'm not saying you're not awesome, but Jesus said John the Baptist is better than you. John the Baptist is the guy that announced the ministry of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of all mankind. And he baptized Jesus, and the heavens opened up and said, Behold, my son, in whom I am well pleased. Look, I've baptized hundreds of you, and never once have I baptized you, and the heavens open up, and God goes, that was awesome. All right, never. (laughs) John the Baptist, it happened to him. John the Baptist lives faithfully, does what's right, calls out King Herod for his lack of integrity. Where does he end up? In prison. And John the Baptist sends a a disciple of his to Jesus to ask this question, are you the one, or should we wait on another? So listen, you got pain, you got doubts in your pain, so John the Baptist, you're in good company. And you know what Jesus, how he responds? Not, how dare you lock up my cousin and huff and puff and blow the doors down and get cousin. Come on, cuz, let's get out of here. No. He says, yeah, you go tell him I'm the one because I'm preaching the gospel, I'm serving the poor, that the lame walk and the blind see. He's quoting an Isaiah prophecy about the Messiah. Guess what one thing he leaves out? And the prisoners will be set free. Jesus says, yep, I'm the one and you're going to die in prison. So you know John's thinking, this is not the way I thought this was going to turn out at all. But he knew what I know, what Paul knows, that we follow Jesus not because he makes life better, but he's better than life. Now, here's where I kind of Bible geek out on you, okay? Because I study, and this is what I do. I love this. I love this about the Word of God, that, that we can use the Bible as commentary unto itself. You see, in Acts, we're reading a letter from Luke about Paul. Well, you know, Paul wrote his own stuff. So in the Bible, you can flip over a few pages and you can read out of Paul's diary about how Paul was walking through this moment when he was being persecuted for the gospel. You see what I mean? This isn't like a news report about Paul. Oh, he must be a man of faith. But we can actually read Paul's words of what was going on down in here when he was suffering for Christ. So turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I wanted to shorten this, but, but verses 8 through 12, it's like one long run-on sentence, okay? So just bear with me. Let me read through it, and when we get to the end of it, I'll show you what I want you to grab onto, what Paul understood and why Paul could suffer for Christ. <clears throat> Paul's, here's Paul's response to this suffering. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Now, why is Paul locked up? Because of the testimony of our Lord. So he's talking about incidences just like this. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And again, that holy calling is not cash and prizes. For Paul, that holy calling was was suffering, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. You see, get that. So Paul would say, regardless of how bad it is here on earth, Christ has abolished death, so the worst thing they can do is kill the body that I live in. But they can't kill my soul, because Christ has saved and redeemed it, and I'll spend forever with him. So he's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Now check this out. Which is why I suffer as I do. So why do you suffer as you do, Paul? But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, not what I have believed. This is, this is a fundamentally different worldview. 
Paul did not put his faith in what he believed. Because if you put your faith in what you believe, you'll put your faith in your circumstances. Because your circumstances will change and it'll affect what you believe. But Paul says, my faith is not in a what I believe. My faith is in a whom I believe. He believed in Jesus. He believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Christ never changes regardless of the circumstances. And if you chase after circumstances, you are guaranteed for a lifetime of pain. Because they change all the time. And you'll begin to see Christ through your circumstances instead of seeing your circumstances through Christ. And so Paul says, I know whom I have believed in. So what do you believe about the return of Christ and the end of times and the millennium? I don't know. But, but I'm not putting my faith. Paul didn't put his faith in what he believed about those things. He put his faith. He knows whom he has believed. He trusted Jesus even when he couldn't understand the circumstances that he was in. And that's how he could say that, that God will be glorified even in my suffering. That's how the Apostle Paul could say things like, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Paul could say things like, I know what it's like to be well-fed or hungry, but I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Why? Because of what you believe? Uh-uh. Because of whom I have believed. You see, if you want to be a Christian, a, a saved person, a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not a belief system. It's a relationship with God who became a man who died for you in your place on the cross and resurrected from the dead to abolish death for you so that you could be related, adopted with him. That's different than just having a belief system. And that's what sustained Paul. And that's why Paul was okay with, with his temporary displacement of his comfort because it was about Jesus and not just what he believed. Because I'm telling you, if you get just stuck on the what and the circumstances, your life's going to be all over the place. Last Saturday, I was feeling good. And then one pass, and a run, and then I'm feeling bad. And bad, I mean, ridiculous bad. We were at a friend's house. Oh, everybody's hanging out, having good times. And then the game goes poorly, and I'm like, kids, get in the car, we're leaving. <laughs> Terrible, immature, pitiful, I'm me. But said this past yesterday, woohoo, good again. You get hung up just in your circumstances, and you let them define you. Man, it's unpredictable as the weather. But when you know in whom you have believed, he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You begin to trust his heart even when you don't understand his hands. Right? You can trust him. And how can you trust him? Because he's demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, when your circumstances, when the what was a mess, that he died for you so that you could know whom you have trusted or believed. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, and still he seeks the fellowship of his people and sends them both sorrow and joy in order to detach their love from the things of this world and attach them to himself. And still he seeks the fellowship of his people. See, he wants fellowship. He wants you to know the whom, not the what. And so he'll send you either joy or sorrow or both or some combination so that you will loosen the grip of the things you have on this world and you will... Grab on to him, the one that never changes. The way I say it is this. I pray it for us all the time. That God may bless us and or break us. Whatever it takes to draw us unto him. Why? Because there's more to this life than just this life. This life is like a tiny little part of the eternal story that you and I are a part of. And one day, on the other side of eternity, when we look back, we'll go, okay, God, thank you that you would use me and even my pain and suffering to change others' eternal destiny you need a it is written trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but acknowledge him in all your ways and he will straighten your path some of you are walking through pain and suffering and it does not make sense to you and it may never make sense to you until you meet him face to face. But I know whom I have believed in. And he can be trusted. Because he is the God over your circumstances. And he is for us. And he is not against us. And so when it doesn't make sense, I understand. And you feel emotions all over the place. I understand. And you lean not on your own understanding. But you lean all of who you are into all of the... All of all of him that you know of.
And you trust Him so that you can know Him. Listen, the way we end these services is not just because it makes for a clean transition. But the band is going to sing, and we're going to invite you to come to the altar so that you will not be ruled by your circumstances, but so that you can help get your eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of your faith. And you can take your questions and your doubt and your pain and your suffering and your tears, whether it's for you or a family member or somebody else, and you can come and you lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I know whom I have believed in. I don't know what to do with all this. I don't even know what I believe about that. You're in control, but my life is out of control. I don't even know how to figure that out, but I'm going to lay it at your feet because I know whom I have believed in. And I'm going to trust you that you're a good dad. You want to take good care of your kids. And God, may you bring me blessing or brokenness, whatever it takes to draw me unto you, because you are more than enough. I'm not even asking that you'll just make it all better, but you're better than all of that, because you're eternal. You're eternal. And so that's what I'm going to call us to do. Would you please stand, pray with me, and the altars will be wide open. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, God... James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trial of many kinds. Lord, that makes no sense. Unless you're in charge. If you're in control of the things that are out of control. And so, God, we submit, surrender unto you. God, I pray. Lord, I pray for every man, woman, and student in this place, God. Especially those that are going through pain and suffering. Lord, would they be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication make the request known to you. And may the peace of God, which transcends understanding, guard hearts and mind in Christ Jesus God, I pray that you would give people in this room a peace that doesn't make sense and that others would see it and give you glory. God, we thank you. We consider it an honor that you would allow us to suffer for the cause of Christ. That you would displace our temporary sense of comfort for your eternal glory and destiny. Holy Spirit, would you work in this place? Would you move in this place? God, I pray for and just openness and honestness that people would just come before you and just lay it down at the one in whom they believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open. Why don't you come and pray? If you want somebody to pray with you, raise your hand and somebody will pray with you.